Lord, everybody. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Why don't we stand together for just a moment? We're going to uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless our time in His Word this morning in our Sunday school class. Good to have our hyphen uh, in here with us this morning as well and some guests that are visiting. Uh, Good to have you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this day, this beautiful day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we thank you for what you have been doing this weekend through the ministry of your word, for how you have been touching our hearts and changing our lives, God. I pray that this morning, as Brother Woodward teaches, it would be no exception, Lord, that we would be open and receptive to your word. We would be obedient to it. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Brother Woodward is pastor from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. Pastors a great church, Capital Community, and uh, and then does many things within the organization that we're a part of. And we're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. So good to be with all of you. You can be seated. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord for our uh, time together this morning in Bible class. And I love Bible class. It's my favorite thing just about uh, because I, uh, I love looking at the word of the Lord. The Bible has a whole lot of promises for those of us that love God and uh, in particular those of us that uh, dig into his word and study his word and obey his word and follow his word. And so uh, that's why I love Bible class. We're going to go to a scripture. I just finished at home not too long ago a series on uh, the book of Romans. I didn't know if I was ever going to get out of Romans. It's, uh, it's so deep in there. Uh, but this is a scripture from Romans. It's one that you know. You've probably quoted it. You might have it on a, on a plaque on your refrigerator or on your wall. Uh, Romans 8, verse 28. And uh, we're going to read there, and then we're going to read a couple verses just immediately after that. And uh, you know this one. And we know, somebody say, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then we get into this long theological thing. Paul's pretty brilliant. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, now there's some... Incredible theology in there, but let's just make it uh, simple for uh, understanding. Paul says God is so awesome that God knew you'd be here serving him in his kingdom before you ever got here, and he prepared the way for you. And Paul uses a word that sometimes gets misconstrued and misinterpreted. It's the word predestinate, because God does predestinate people. That means he looks at uh, something and he knows what's going to happen because he's God, And he says, okay, I'm going to make all the arrangements for that before it ever happens because I'm God. He sees, it's like he stands at the end of eternity and looks backward. Now, I can't even figure out what's going to happen to me tomorrow for sure. Uh, but, But God looks in eternity in the future and he looks back and he sees our whole lives and he can arrange everything. Now, here's what's important to know. This is about all you need to know about this big word that gets thrown around by the theologians and pastors and reverends called predestination. Here's about all you need to know because there's a bunch of people that teach it wrong. Uh, They say that 
God has predestinated people. That means that he looks at pastor and says, he's a good guy. I want him in my kingdom, so he can't be lost. He's going to be saved no matter what he does. And then he looks at somebody like me and says, oh, the Canadian, nah, I don't like him. Uh, so he, he, he's going to be lost no matter what he does. I'm predestinating him to be lost. And, and, and there's a doctrine that floats around. It's, it's called predestination, or it's called, sometimes you'll hear this, unconditional eternal security. That, that you know, you are predestined. If you ever start serving God, uh, you can't be lost. Well, that's not true. Because the Bible tells us a whole lot of stuff about we need to keep our faith. We need to walk in our faith. We need to walk in the spirit. We can leave the faith. We can be reprobate concerning the faith. There's a whole lot of bad stuff that can happen. So here's all you've got to know about this big word called predestination. Here it is. God does not predestinate individuals. He doesn't look at you and say, you're going to be saved and there's nothing you can do to be lost. And he doesn't look at somebody else and say, you're going to be lost no matter what you do. There's nothing you can do to be saved. God's not that unfair. So then what's Paul talking about if he says God predestinated us? Here's what he's talking about. While God doesn't predestinate individuals, he does predestinate groups. And so there's a group called sinners that are going to be lost forever. And if you're in that group, you're going to be lost. I hate to tell you that, but that's God's Bible truth. No matter how positive we try to spin it, God's truth is if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to be forever lost. And people say, well, that's not fair that God would put people in hell. There has to be a hell because if there's no place for God to punish sinfulness and wickedness and perversion, then God can't create a heaven for us. There has to be a place where wickedness is punished. Somebody gave this definition. They said, I'll tell you what hell is. Hell is how long and how much you would have to suffer to pay for your own sins. Because that's what you're doing when you choose not to serve God. You're saying, I'll look after my sins myself. And hell, think about that. It's how much unbelievable torment and how long eternity that you'd have to suffer to pay for your own sins. So aren't you glad that Jesus made a way that he could pay for our sins? That's incredible. And so Jesus doesn't pick people and say, well, you're going to be saved. You're going to be lost. There's nothing you can do about it. No, he says, you get in the right group. And he predestinates groups. There's a group called sinners that are going to be lost forever. I don't want to be in that group. But there's a group called the church that's going to be saved forever and forever. So here's your job as a person. Get yourself in the church. Get in your Bible and find out how it is. Not to join this local assembly, although this is a great one, but find out how to join the church, God's church. Get yourself in the church. Stay in the church. Don't ever leave the church. Serve God. And then that group, God has predestinated us for heaven. Here's what Paul says. The people he foreknew, he knew we'd be here before we ever got here. Um, he predestinated us for one task throughout our lives. We've been talking about it uh, the last couple of days here, that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants to make us like him. That's a lifelong job. Uh, turn to your uh, neighbor, whoever that is, uh, beside you and back of you, in front of you, and say, you know what? God's got a big job on his hands with you. And that's absolutely true, by the way. Don't enjoy that too much if you're married to them, okay? And then, then Paul says, so who God predestinated, the people that he knew would be in his church, he called us. He knew we'd be here before we ever felt his call. 
And whom he called, them he justified. He made us just as if we'd never sinned. And whom he justified, this is so cool, God's already in heaven and he's looking backwards. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. God already sees us going in the rapture to be with him forever in heaven. That's so cool. And, and, and so then Paul says, what do we say to that? If God is that much for us, then who in the world could ever be against us? But this whole little section of Scripture starts with a verse that most church people can quote and most church people don't believe. Here we go. Because you can quote it, but you probably don't believe it either. And we know, somebody say we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then he gets into all this other great stuff. Most church people can quote that verse and they don't believe that verse. This is amazing. Uh, You can probably quote it, and you probably don't believe it either. Here's how you know you don't believe it. When you get into difficulties in life, how much do you whine about it? If you whine a lot and you complain a lot and you think, oh, this is terrible, and you just get all depressed, then you don't believe that verse. Don't all look at me so religious and perfect. We know that all things, somebody say all things, Work together for good. Now, the Bible never said all things that are going to happen to you are going to be good. Never said that. It said all things will work together for good. Now, here's the benefit of being a Christian. Unsaved people, sinner people, worldly people, they go through all the same junk that we do. They have bad bosses, too. They have bad days, too. They have flat tires and burned-out appliances and all kinds of stuff, too. They, They have all of that. But here's the advantage of being a Christian. God actually takes the bad stuff that happens to us, and because we're in the church and we're his people, he even takes the bad stuff that just happens in life. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So God takes the bad stuff and turns it for our good. The the world doesn't have that. Bad stuff's just bad stuff to them. They don't get any credit. They don't get any extra points. Uh, they, They don't even get any real benefit from it. It's just bad. Sometimes you'll see a person that isn't serving God and through sheer willpower and great internal fortitude and character, they'll take a bad situation and they'll do something good with it. But again, that's still all for nothing. But for us, because we're God's people, he takes everything bad that happens to us plus everything good and he uses all of it to form us into the image of his son. It's amazing. So it's a lifelong project. Now, now, here's what I want to share with you this morning. I think this is cool. In fact, uh, I shared this uh, in Arkansas before, but not here. So I, I just want to share this with you today because I just think this is so cool. Um, because God develops his character in your life, what we call the fruit of the spirit. When you've got God's spirit in you, uh, it'll grow and it'll produce fruit. And here's the thing. Here's how it grows in you. This, this is kind of cool. That a God will let you uh, experience something that gives you a temptation to to express an opposite quality. If, if God's wanting to grow love in you, which is part of the fruit of the Spirit, He'll let you be in a situation where you feel like hating someone and see how you do. And if you pass the test, it'll grow love in you. If, if you are... Uh, if God wants to grow joy in you, this is counterintuitive, but God will let you get in a situation where you experience great sorrow 
And when you come through that terrible situation because you trust in God and you pray to God and you give it to God, uh, God will produce joy in you. And joy isn't happiness. Happiness is external. It depends on your circumstances. Joy is internal, and it only depends on God. And I know people that are laying in a hospital bed today, and they got the joy of the Lord. It's, it's incredible. So uh, that's why I don't encourage people to pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, God will let you be in traffic all the rest of your life. Every morning, every night, you know, uh, there, there won't be any traffic on the street until you pull out. And then all of a sudden, don't pray for patience. God will look after that himself. So, so God lets us develop the fruit of the Spirit by putting us in places and circumstances where we're tempted to exhibit the exact opposite characteristic. And so that's why God lets us walk through problems. In your life, as a Christian, you're going to experience four different kinds of problems. Here they are. The first kind of problem is trials. The Bible calls them trials. Trials are designed by God to draw us closer to him. Now, if you've served God any length of time, you already know this because you go through a hard time. And at the end of that hard time, you think, man, I've never prayed more than I did through that hard time. I've never felt an awareness of God like I have through that hard time. And so you already know this, that trials are allowed by God. He doesn't cause evil in the world, but he can sure use evil. All, all the bad things, and he can do something good. So trials are allowed by God. Uh, everybody say trials come from God. Point right up at the ceiling. Would you do that? Trials come from where? They come from God. Now, he doesn't cause all the bad stuff, but he allows that. So trials come from God, and they pull us closer to God. Then there's another kind of problem that you will encounter as a Christian, and that's temptation. Everybody say temptation. Temptation comes from the, everybody point down. There's no basement here, right? We're not pointing at anybody. Okay, good. Uh, everybody say temptation comes from the devil, and it's designed to pull us away from God. The devil wants to pull us all away from God. And then there's a third kind of trial or trouble that or problem that we uh, in, encounter in life. So first is uh, trials. Everybody say trials. Help me out here. Come from God, okay? And if we go through them right, they pull us close to God. Uh, temptation comes from the devil, and it pulls us away from God. So that's important to know. And then there's this one. This is probably harder than either of the other two. And, and you might not believe this until you go through it, and then you'll know it's harder. Uh, because you expect some bad stuff to happen. You expect trials, and you even expect temptations. But here's what sometimes takes you off guard. Everybody say trespasses. Now, a trespass in the Bible, that's a Bible word. It's something that's done wrong. Uh, it's done against you. And a trespass in the Bible sort of means the same as trespass on a no trespassing sign. If I see a sign that says no trespassing, um, if I go over that line and I step into that area where it said no trespassing, what have I done? I have encroached on somebody else's property. I've encroached, I, I've, I've trespassed where I don't belong. And that's what happens to us. Now, here's the thing that may catch you off guard in living for God. We don't expect this. Trespasses come from, guess where? They come from other people. Uh, now, help me out here. Everybody say trespasses. Are you ready? Come from others. Just go like this. Please do not hesitate and point in any one particular direction at any one person, especially if you're married to them, okay? Trespasses come from others. Now, that's hard. 
Because when somebody trespasses against me, what it means is they have trampled on my rights. They've done something to me that hurt me. They've done something that was unfair or unjust. And and that's difficult to handle in life. But the Bible promises us. In fact, Jesus said this when he was talking about the signs of his coming. He said, it is impossible, but that offenses would come. One of the signs of Jesus' soon coming is that many people are going to be offended and leave God and leave truth and leave church. That's a sign of his coming. I don't want to be one of those people. But, but you will not live in life very long before somebody trespasses against you. So help me out again. Uh, trials come from God, okay? Uh, trespasses come from others. Threw you off, didn't I? Temptations come from the... Okay, and there's one more. Uh, this one is, is kind of funny. Uh, everybody say troubles. So those are the four kinds of problems you're going to encounter in life. Trials come from? Okay. And, and uh, temptations come from? The devil. And trespasses come from? And troubles come from? Me. This is kind of dumb. Uh, because sometimes, now I don't know all of you very well, so I could just kind of work blind here. I don't have to worry. You know, I'm not talking about any situation. Pastor hasn't given me a list of everybody that's causing him trouble or anything like that. So, so here's the deal. I'm working blind, okay? But here, here's the deal. Sometimes you do dumb things that impact your life. You know, if, if you don't change the oil in your car for five years and it breaks down on the freeway, that is not the devil. The devil attacked my car. No, he didn't. What would he do with your car anyway? He didn't attack your car. You attacked your car. You were so dumb you didn't change the oil for five years. So that's not, that's not a temptation. That's not a trial even. It doesn't even qualify for a trial. Oh, it's such a trial. I'm going, no, you did it yourself. You big dummy. That's what we say in Canada uh, when we're getting really spiritual. So, so trouble, everybody say trouble comes from me. Now, is there anybody here that would be brave enough in church where you can't lie to say, sometimes I've caused some of my own troubles? Okay, there's a few of us, not everybody. Uh, the rest are yielding to a temptation right now to lie. <clears throat> so, so, so we cause our own troubles sometimes. In my office at home in Fredericton, uh, I have a, a desk with four drawers, and in my lower left-hand drawer is a special precious object to me. That reminds me of this. In my lower left-hand drawer, I could take you there right now, pull open the drawer, and just reach in and grab this because it's it's special. It sits there to remind me of something. Because, you know, I think that if I could add just one verse to the Bible, I would do it. I would put it at the end so nobody would miss it. And I would just add one verse. It wouldn't change any doctrine or anything. It would just say something that somehow God missed when he wrote the Bible. Uh, and I just put it as a last verse, just at the end, so everybody could see it and read it and never forget it. And this is the verse that I would add to the Bible as a pastor of 30 years. You can't fix stupid. Revelation 22 and whatever verse, okay? That's where, I, that's where I'd put it, and that's what I'd add. You can't fix stupid. Now, I have this object in my lower left-hand drawer in my desk in my office in Fredericton, New Brunswick, to remind me that I can't even fix stupid in myself. Now, if you look in that drawer, in the lower left-hand drawer of my desk, in my office in Fredericton, New Brunswick, here's what you would find. You would find a beautiful uh, necktie. Uh, It's in there. The knot is still in it. 
Uh, I was the last one to wear it. The knot is still in it. And if you uh, picked up that necktie, it's a very special necktie, you would notice it's different than most neckties you've ever seen because about the last six inches of that necktie are cut into little narrow strips of uh, necktie um, because that's what happens to a necktie when you lean over a paper shredder and, and you're trying to shred paper and you end up almost choking yourself to death and I shudder to think what the headlines would have read on that Tuesday morning in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Local pastor choked to death by paper shredder. I just got it out in time. You know, it's kind of like this. There's the switch. There's the plug. It's fine, guys. Yes. I forever kept that necktie as a memorial to myself that you can't fix stupid. And sometimes I cause my own troubles. Okay, so help me here, because everybody in this room, if you're going to try to live for God, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that you have trials, and they're allowed by, and you're going to find you have temptations, and they come from the, and they have the exact opposite purpose. God will let you walk through a trial knowing that if you'll get through it victoriously, it'll draw you closer to him, and the devil will put a temptation in your way knowing that if you fall, it'll pull you away from God. And then we have trespasses. Trespasses come from others. Everybody help me. Trespasses come from others. Please do not poke anybody or point too long at anybody. And finally, troubles come from me. Now, here's the problem. And this is where so many Christians mess up. And I don't want you to mess up because you're fine, wonderful church-going folks. And I don't want you to mess up. So, So let me give you a little secret. You have to respond to each one of those differently. Because if you respond to a trial like you're supposed to respond to a temptation, you'll mess yourself up. Or if you respond to a trespass like you're supposed to respond to a trouble, you'll mess yourself up. Each one demands a different response. And this is where I think some Christians really get messed up a little bit. So I want to talk about that. Because we all encounter circumstances, and sometimes it's hard to tell, isn't it? But, But when you go through the storms of life, here's something that you'll see in the Bible. People get in storms for different reasons. If you're a Bible reader, you know that Jonah got in a storm because he was out of God's will. But read your same Bible and you'll find out that the apostle Paul got in a storm because other people were out of God's will. And keep reading your Bible and you'll find out that the disciples of Jesus, they got in a storm because they were in God's will. Jesus was the one that said, go to the other side across the Sea of Galilee. So people get in storms for different reasons. Sometimes you're out of God's will. Sometimes they're out of God's will. Sometimes you're in God's will. So, so we need a different response to every problem that we encounter. So here we go. Now, I'm going to need your help here just for a few minutes. So, so get your hands free and just, just help this Canadian out, okay? Because Canadians, you know, they have trouble talking uh, proper English and all of that. So just, just help me out, okay? The, the first one I want to talk about is, uh, uh, as we go back through, everybody say trouble. Now, trouble is my own fault. Trouble is something that I do that's a mistake or it's wrong or it's a sin. Trouble is something that I do that's against God or against myself or against my family or against you. Trouble is something that I bring on myself. And and if you read about trouble in Scripture, you'll read this. Uh, In the Psalms, David said, In my trouble I called to the Lord. That's how you get through a trouble. Everybody say, troubles come from me, so I need to repent. Just go like this. That'll remind you, okay? Everybody say, I need to repent, okay? 
That looks so religious when you do that. That's wonderful. Uh, It looks perfect for church on Sunday morning. Troubles come from me, so I need to repent. Okay, so so what does repent mean? Uh, Repent means literally a a turn, a change of direction. And and we sometimes think as church people that repentance means uh, emotion, that you cry or, or you come to an altar and you cry or whatever. But I know lots of people that come to altars and cry because they're, uh, feeling guilty or they're feeling bad or they're sad or they're they're afraid that God caught them or the pastor caught them or somebody caught them and they, they, they cry and they're feeling sorry, but they're really feeling sorry for themselves. The Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. So if you're really sorry in a godly way for your sin, for what you did wrong, re, you will repent. And repent doesn't mean to feel emotion. It, you may repent and never feel any emotion. It's not the emotion Uh, If you need to repent of something, you don't have to feel a big charge of emotion. All you need to do is turn around. I was walking this way. I'm not going to do that anymore. I repent. I turn around, and I walk the other way. I walk God's way. That's repentance. And that's how you handle a trouble. It was your fault. You walked into it. And so because it's your fault and you walked into it, um, you need to repent. Everybody say trouble. Trouble comes from me, so I need to repent. Okay, very good. And and then the next one, uh, as we go back through, uh, everybody say temptation. Temptation comes from the devil. And and so the Bible has lots to say about temptation. Uh, Temptation, Jesus told us, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus said, your spirit is willing to serve God, but your flesh is really, really weak. So you've got to watch temptation. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But he also said this, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. You, you may think that you're the only person being attacked. You may think you're the only person that the devil's trying to fight, but everybody's experienced that. And Paul said, uh, you know, all of our temptations, they're common to man, but our God is faithful. And, and he will not let you be tempted above anything that you're able to bear, but he will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here's how you get through a a temptation. Uh, Some people go into a temptation with their eyes wide open. They go too near to dangerous things that they know are triggers for them for sin, and they just do it all the time. James said, uh, we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and we're enticed. So James gives us the secret of how to fight temptation. Uh, When I am in a trouble, it's my fault. It comes from me, so I need to repent. But if I get in a temptation, repentance is not the answer. And here's why repentance is not the answer. A temptation is not a sin. I haven't sinned yet. I'm just being tempted to sin. And so I can stand there all day, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that doesn't do anything. Because I'm being tempted, and the temptation's still going to be there even after I repent. Because really, if I haven't sinned, there's no need to repent. Repentance doesn't do anything when I haven't gone the wrong way. So I need a different tactic when I'm in an hour of temptation. And here it is, James 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So here's how I deal with temptation. Not the same as a trouble at all. If it's a trouble, everybody say trouble. It comes from me. 
and so I need to repent. But if it's a temptation, it comes from the devil. So here's what I need to do. I need to resist. Everybody do this. I need to push him back. I need to fight him. I need to resist him. I don't need to just kind of walk into the same problem over and over and over again. Now, now here, here's the thing. When you are tempted, here's how you resist. You don't resist by having an arm wrestle with the devil because you can't because he's a spirit being and, and you can't arm wrestle with him. You don't resist by punching him out because he's a spirit being and you can't. So, so you can't do it that way. You resist not by standing there and showing everybody how strong you are. No, sometimes you resist by getting out of there. The Bible has one word, by the way, for sexual temptation in particular. It says, Get out of there. And, and so uh, that's how we resist. We, we resist the devil, and, and he'll flee from us. So uh, that's, that's temptation. Now, this one's difficult. Everybody say trespass. Trespass comes from others, and that's hard to deal with. The psalmist said at one point, he said, if it was somebody out there that had done this to me, I could have borne that. I was expecting grief and trouble and problems and opposition and sin from all those people. You can almost hear the betrayal in his voice when he says, but it was you. We went to church together. We went to the house of God in company, and you were the one that did this to me. Do you realize that even in church sometimes, somebody somewhere is going to do something that hurts you? They're going to trespass against you. And when they do, that's not something you caused. It didn't come from the devil. It came from them. And trespasses are hard to deal with. The Bible talks about Achan who trespassed against the commandment of the Lord and he hid things under his tent and it messed up the whole camp of Israel. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, Jesus uh, has just given the Lord's prayer to the disciples. Here's how you need to pray. Here's how you should pray. And then he says, oh, guys, one P.S. on the end of the Lord's Prayer. Here it is, Matthew 6, 14, 15. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is important, folks, because if you don't deal with trespasses right, it'll mess up your relationship with God. And so trespasses are when somebody does something against you. Everybody say, trespasses come from others. Now, there's only one way to deal with them. Jesus said, you've got to release it. Everybody say, release it. You've got to let it go. That is about the hardest thing that Christian people ever have to do. I meet hundreds of Christians in the run of a year, every year, that are messed up because if, if somebody did something or said something about them, they can't let it go. And, and so because they won't release it, they're bound up, and their relationship with God is crippled. Don't let that be you. Uh, just let it go. You say, but it's not fair. No, it's not. It's not right. No, it's not. They were wrong. Yes, they were. But it's not helping you to hang on to it. And if you're going to grow in God, you've got to learn sometimes that even though it's unfair, and even though they were the wrong one, everybody say, release it. You just got to let it go. Now, here, here's the thing, and, and I'm coming to it close. Here, here's the deal. Paul said... All things, somebody say all things, work together for good for them that love God. And that's us. So, so here's the deal. That, that all things, even when the devil's tempting you, if you get through that right, if you resist it, 
it'll work for good for you. Trials are allowed by God, but if, if, if you go through them right, it'll work good for you. Trouble comes from you, your own stupid mistakes. But if you'll repent of it and put it in God's hands and walk away from your sin and your trouble and your mistake, God will use it. All things work together for good. Even trespasses that others do against you, if you'll release it and not let it bind you up and cripple your life, even things that people do against you, God can use it for good. That's the verse that everybody can quote that nobody really believes. You either believe it or you don't. I happen to believe that all things, even things that people do against me, even attacks the devil brings against me, even stupid stuff that I did for myself, if I'll put it under the blood, if I'll ask God for forgiveness, all of it can work together for good. There's nobody here that's made a mistake so bad that God can't turn it around and use it for your good long term. Nobody, nobody, nobody. And so we close right here. There's one more. If you've looked around and to the best of your ability and your knowledge, and you're honest before God, and you say, God, you know what? I've been stupid before, but this time it's not a trouble that comes from me. If it was, I would do what? I would repent. And God, as far as I know, I'm not yielding to a temptation from the devil. If it was a temptation from the devil, God, I would resist. And as far as I know, God, it's not a trespass that somebody else did that I'm holding. Because if somebody else had done a trespass against me, what would I do? I would release it. So brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, if you look around and as honest as you can be before God, you really don't think you're facing a trouble from yourself or a temptation from the devil or a trespass from somebody else. And there's only one other option. You're in a trial and trials are allowed by God. And you don't go through trials like you go through troubles. I repent, I repent. You can't repent of a trial. And, and, and But here's what a lot of people try to do. They try to handle a trial like a temptation. I resist this trial. I resist it. But, but you're just frustrating yourself. That's not the right response for a trial. Uh, you, you can't go through a trial by releasing it because you didn't cause it and somebody else really didn't. It's just life. It's a trial. So there's only one response left for a trial. And Paul wrote that response to us from the middle of a jail cell in Rome when he wrote to the Philippians, one of the last church epistles he ever wrote. He said, when you're in the middle of a trial, he said, boy, am I in the middle of a trial. I'm locked up in jail. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody lift your hands like this. Rejoice. That's what you do in a trial. When you can't figure out where it came from or why it's there or why it's still there or how it... That's what you do. You just lift up your hands, and in the middle of a trial, you just rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's how you get through a trial. Because we know, folks, that all things work together for good, even the trials to them that love God. Would you stand, and let's give God a praise. If you need to let it go, let it go. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to resist the devil, resist. But if you can't figure anything else out, then just learn how to rejoice. Because God will use it for your...